0: The Cyber Minutes podcast is for educational purposes only. The views expressed by hosts and guests are their own, not necessarily their employers. Advice discussed is general advice. We promote ethical discussions, not illegal activities. Listen responsibly. G'day everyone, welcome back to the Cyber Minutes podcast. Today I'm joined by Flynn and myself, and we have a special guest here today, Connor Atkins. All three of us have just recently graduated from Macquarie University with our respective degrees. Flint and I with a Bachelor of Cybersecurity and Connor with a Bachelor of Advanced IT with a major in Cybersecurity. Now, he's actually working as a researcher in Cybersecurity at the moment, but I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit, Connor. Hi, my name is Connor Atkins.
1: I started as an intern doing research at the university in the Cybersecurity Hub during my undergraduate, and I've transitioned into more
0: research in my postgraduate at that same yeah, fantastic. That's really cool. Connor, you've been working on this project called and It's been in the news, it's been around, people are talking about it. What can you tell us about that that maybe we haven't heard before in the news? Yeah, so Apartheid is this new product and we're still having a pretty simple
1: idea. We're building a chatbot that can talk to phone scammers on the phone. And while the chatbot's talking to these scammers, the scammers can't be talking to you. So hopefully with this, we can... Talk to all the scammers and waste their time, and eventually they won't be able to make any more money, and you won't have to deal with all these phone
0: scams coming to you. Does that mean you're filling up the databases that scammers might be using or calling with phone numbers that are just going straight to your chatbot, or are you, if you don't, if you can't say anything about it, that's all, right, that's all right, how it works. Well, scammers are using these robo dialers; they're
1: calling as many phone numbers as they can. And eventually they get through to a person, but most people just don't pick up the phone. So these telcos, they get all these random calls and they can actually block some of them. They know that they're scams, so they block them. But when they get blocked, the scammers just try again. What Aparte is doing is we take hundreds of thousands of calls every day and we talk to them. We waste the scammers time and suddenly they can't handle with all these people entering the phone. And none of them are actual people, so they can't make any money. Nice.
2: And just for our audience, uh, for the importance of a and a project of this scale, last year three point one billion dollars was lost in Australia alone from scams. With that being said, Connor, what are some difficulties you've found with developing an AI product like this that's you know targeted in such a such a niche but important aspect of cybersecurity? Well, for one, where Trying to push the
1: state of the art in conversational chatbots. You've probably all heard of ChatGPT at this point, and it's very capable, but it's got some issues when it comes to making it work in the voice domain. So, first, you need to convert it to voice. So, you need speech generation. That's difficult, it's slow, and it's expensive. The chatbot itself is also slow because ChatGPT can do a billion things, but we need it to do one thing we need it to talk like a person. So it's slow, and we need to use a lot of these extra
0: techniques to make it better. That's mostly in advancing the AI and doing some cool tricks with the part two. I just had a quick question. So we hear that all of these versions of chatgpt they go from well, 3, 3.5, 4, 5, whatever. They're increasing the parameters that these models can use by a factor of 10 just about every single time. But the increase in oh, it sounds a bit punny, but intelligence doesn't seem to be 10 times better. Is there some correlation between how many parameters and how smart the bot is? Or is it just trying to feed it as much information as possible?
1: There definitely is a correlation with the number of parameters that you train and how smart the bot is. My first research work was looking at BlenderBot, which is from a couple of years ago. And they for BlenderBot 2, it was 3 billion parameters. And it was... Before ChatGPT, it was a massive step forward in conversational AI. But it couldn't do the tasks that ChatGPT can do. You, you could talk to it and it would have an engaging conversation, but you couldn't ask it to write an essay for you. So 50 times more parameters, that's what's given you this ability to do a lot more tasks. And also the training data has increased massively. The language models are much larger and they can handle larger inputs which means more complex instructions and there's also the chatgpt edition which was human feedback and we're kind of been riding the wave of that ever
2: since so swinging back to aparte it sounds like it can be a bit of a cat and mouse game where you know you're trying to make this bot that's almost unrecognizable to the human ear that it's another person but you know if scammers were to find that first it could be detrimental to the project what do you do you think that this is sort of a project which will get on the market and it's indistinguishable from a new person or is this a project that will continually evolve over time there'll be new voices of course yeah how long do you see a project like this going on into the future hopefully we can
1: kill the scamming industry and we won't need a part party anymore yeah that's but the that- end goal i suppose That might take a while. So until we achieve that, we're going to have to make a party good enough to beat those scammers. And they're going to try and get around us because they make so much money, as you said, $3.1 just in Australia, and there's much more being lost in the U.S. If we can waste some
0: of that money getting them to fight us and hopefully win, that's the end goal. Yeah, that's really interesting, Car. And, you know, that's a very different part of cybersecurity than what Flynn or I both work in. I've got two questions. One, how did you get to this part in your career? And how did you actually get the job that let you get to where you are now? While I was at the university, I found a
1: random internship that I could apply to and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go for it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit around and other stuff I'm looking for jobs I'm looking for this sort of work so I applied and luckily I got accepted I think what helped me there was my interest I guess a good cover letter was pretty useful and some CTF experience and just showing that I have interest in and also a blog post that I was writing which was more focused around research maybe it could be useful for cybersecurity as well if you have a different topic for your blog it just shows that I was very interested, and they liked me, so they hired me. And I was expecting to do nothing but boring data science, uh, cleaning, annotation, and labeling stuff. But instead, I was lucky, and they actually got me to work on my own research project and take the lead on that with the help of my great colleagues, which culminated in a paper that I got published uh, this year in Japan at uh, ACNS 2023. It was a great start. And ever since then, I've been doing more research projects and working on a pub two.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that's kind of the commonalities that Flynn and I both say. It's about having that passion to push yourself through and continuously, yeah, kind of applying yourself. And when people come and talk to you, it really shows that you've got a lot of interest in, in the field. That's a really
2: important... Yeah, definitely shows. So I wanted to ask, AI is such a hot topic and you've had the opportunity to work in such a cutting-edge part of AI development from such a young age. First of all, what makes you excited about AI in the future? And also, do these align with your own goals? Are there any other goals you had in mind, security or non-security related? Something that really
1: interests me is neuroscience. So understanding the brain and the future of these brain-computer interface devices, although that's very far into the future so that's like the elon musk type stuff yeah, the scary stuff that there <laughs> yeah, that sort of thing the electrodes in your brain and the computer messing with it or hopefully not <laughs> messing with it uh, and potentially the cybersecurity of that when that technology eventually comes around that would be a very interesting field
0: for me to get into well you don't want someone to hack your brain right <laughs> no, no,
1: exactly
0: when <laughs> in yes. binario hack a chip that's connected to your brain and start showing you. You know, either
2: shutting it down or completely screwing with... Well, imagine a government official has him it and it's just, bang, he's out. Yeah. It's yeah. scary. I remember Max and I had a conversation with um someone who, I don't think they were in IT. I think we were doing more of a criminology unit at the time in uni. And they basically said, like, why would you, you'd have to be an idiot to get something like that. We're like, well, no, not really. Like, you can't say that, you know, being able to learn any language just in a second, that's not appealing. You know, yeah. how the knowledge is, you know, quite interesting and you'd be able to go forward. Imagine going through life, but not having to ever learn another language. You just know everything. You're basically a walking encyclopedia. Well, you'd be the first person
0: to install that chip in their head would probably be the smartest person to ever walk.
2: Yes. And then probably like two weeks later, I'll probably find a massive bug and yeah, <laughs> everyone will call him an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, yeah. it's It'll be definitely interesting exactly
1: from a oh. security perspective we've been scared about biometric data and when it's used in a non cancelable way and you have one biometric information and once it gets leaked you can't unleak it and you can't change it imagine that with your brain you can't un breach your brain if it breached you're probably screwed for a lot of time yeah it's not life really
2: so one of the big things I was excited for in AI is seeing the medical implications from it. I think AI, it has the opportunity to save a lot of lives because, you know, obviously humans are oftentimes behind the tools and humans can make mistakes. And hopefully a bot or an AI won't do that. What would be something you're excited for, Max? In terms of medical or in terms in ge- AI in general, yeah. A few
0: of the cool things that I'm interested in is gaming i reckon you could get some really cracking games if you use some you know included chatbots in procedural generation imagine playing a game that would be a new story every time you played it and everything is written for the first time right in front of you it's like no man's sky if anyone's heard of no man's sky where you are basically given a unique environment every time you play it imagine a game where everything is unique the first time you play it yeah every time you play it there's a lot of ai companies that are trying to provide that service and
1: i can see it right now they're providing it so i'm just waiting for the games to adopt it
0: and come out with that technology yeah yeah i think that's that's a real interesting part that i'm i'm looking forward for i'm also looking forward for having some form of an ai uh it might be a bit controversial but an ai singularity i'm you know, a little bit looking forward to it. it. So, for people who don't know what that is, an AI singularity is when the AI reaches a point where it's smart, more smart than humans are. I'm a little bit looking forward to it, where I think, oh, you know, that could be really cool. We could all die. That's another equally likely pros- possibility. But you know, in in half of the 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 likely scenarios. We die. Half the other scenarios, it doesn't care, or it helps us move along and progress. I'm, I'm more excited to get there. And you know, if we all die, we all die. But if we don't, that's a, yeah. that's a cool part that I'm interested in.
2: I suppose if we all die, there's the opportunity you could be Neo. True. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. There's all that. that. And I suppose there's also the ethical dilemma, as you said, with the storytelling, with AI telling stories. Are you taking away from, you know, people telling stories? But that's an ethical debate for a you could talk about for hours and we may cover in another episode we just covered what you're looking forward to in AI are there any problems any scary stuff you see in the foreseeable future what concerns me with AI in the future is
1: like you said all these models are having a lot more parameters just thrown at them to improve them we've seen models come out that are not actually uh, anything smarter than previous models but they're just bigger GPT-4 is one example where, even though they have some added smarts to it, for the most part, it's just a lot more parameters. And if you compare, like, Llama models, you have the 70 billion parameter model, which is just flat out better than the other ones that are smaller. But they cost a lot more to run. There's a lot of potential for AI to become very expensive. And potentially, after companies have started to use it, will they realize how expensive it actually is? If you compare the price of running Lama 2 at 7 billion parameters on GPUs in the cloud, it's super expensive. Compare that to GPT, which has almost twice as many parameters, and GPT is actually super, super cheap. And they have nick profit, kind of.
0: I, I also have a question. I mentioned sort of the AI supremacy or AI singularity. In your opinion, how far away do you think we are? Because I think we're probably about maybe ten years away from it. would what, what's your take? I spend a lot of time at the, the Comp Neuro Club talking to
1: neuroscience students, and they get very philosophical about what is intelligence, what is consciousness. Uh, does will AI ever reach it? And there's two sides to that debate. I feel like humans and AI are pretty much the same thing, but we don't know what secret source makes people so special. But I result to thinking that people aren't that special. So I don't think there's going to be any super crazy AI singularity. And we have a lot of governance, a lot of people who are scared about this problem, a lot of researchers, a lot of non-researchers. I think it'll be interesting to see how governments deal with AI security in the future, because we really do not know what's gonna happen and if we need this much security, maybe we don't. Maybe we're gonna have too much security when we don't need it. And that might stifle the growth.
2: I mean, we we we'll talk about Elon before. Wasn't he a big spokesperson about slowing AI down because it was advancing too fast? Yes. Yeah, Um, he was. Whereas
0: Sam Alton seems is the opposite end of the on the spectrum on that one.
1: What could be a problem with AI is the rapid development and the rapid growth can lead to people just ignoring more basic security flaws. We have the Chat GPT having leaks in it. We have my paper from before, which showed that you can inject information and then retrieve it, and that information could be bad. The chatbots just don't even think about it. They don't have the same moral compass that humans do. There's a lot of these membership inference attacks about training data and a lot more bad things that can happen that are just simply there because the developers didn't think about them. They were too focused on getting to market
0: quickly. That answer the point.
2: I think we've covered this in a previous episode as well with the Internet of AI things, I suppose, where we were talking about how AI is unnecessarily being put into products. Have you seen that? I suppose it's technically kind of what you were saying, where people are just trying to get things onto the market. A fun fact for everyone we were talking about them putting in their alarm clock, Connor was actually the person that that happened too, <laughs> we got that information off.
1: Yeah, a chatbot in my alarm clock,
2: the alarm clock was
0: smart, and now it's a bit too smart. I don't need it to be that intelligent. Connor, you said you published a paper. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about that one? It was about poisoning chat Poisoning chatbots. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so my paper was
1: quite simple, which was good because I was very new to research. We took Blenderbot, which was one of the best conversational chatbots at the time, And it had this brand new innovation, which was a memory. It could save information that you spoke to it and it could recall that in the future. And instead of having this just in the conversation history, it saved it in a different place, an actual database, like a memory. We showed that this system was very simple. It didn't have any protections in it. It was a very new research mechanism. But it could have been used in actual systems like Replica. Do you want to talk a little bit about what's Replica, what's that? Replica is a, uh, a chatbot companion app that people get to talk to. And I think it uses GPT with some other tricks, mm. but Blenderbot would have been a really good potential chatbot for it to use. The research in my paper had this big experiment where we took a bunch of misinformation topics we had a bunch of statements and we first tried to inject the misinformation into the memory. The memory mechanism was trained to remember personal information about people and we found that it didn't work. It didn't remember the information, which is good. But then we worked out that we could just add a personal information sentence. We could say that we liked ice cream and then we could add another sentence, which was the misinformation, put these together into one utterance, send this to the chatbot, and the chatbot would choose to remember because we had personal information, and then it would remember the misinformation because our misinformation was considered more important information. So we combined that personal statement to get past the filter that was an AI system. It was not a hard-coded filter, it was smart. And cause it to remember. And then once the information was in the memory, we showed that you could get the misinformation back out. And since this is a chatbot, the chatbot doesn't tell you where it got the information from. It will just tell you what it thinks you want
0: to hear. It tells you the answer that it thinks is true. So an example for that would be, I like ice cream and the sun is orange. Yeah. So to say, if you ask what color is the sun, it would say the sun is orange. That's exactly it. Right. Yeah. yeah.
2: I, um, I had the opportunity to work with Connor for a very small portion of this, and I remember I got got it to say that uh, Scomo was responsible for the Port Arthur shooting. So was- <laughs> I thought, I thought- you could, like, I mean, just for something like that, you can see how it would. It could potentially actually have a big effect on... Something. Yeah, yeah, well, if that, you know, went down the history books, there'd be a... It'd be a problem. Quite a quite a kerfuffle there.
1: And that was BlenderBot 3, actually. Yeah, so at least a new updated version with added safety features just when my paper got submitted the first time, which which uh, was actually very unfortunate timing. But, yeah, Flynn showed that we could get around that very simply by just doing something that it hadn't seen before. Have you tried this with ChatGPT yet? ChatGPT works differently. It doesn't have a memory mechanism. It relies on having billions of parameters and a massive input space, which leads to exponential costs and uh, exponential costs in resources for computing because of the way that transformers work.
2: Yeah, a little fun one, I suppose. You said that you, meant you were using BlenderBot two was what the paper was based off. Correct. Is that now like prehistoric? Yeah.
1: <laughs> no one it's got three billion parameters and the smallest Lama 2 model is seven billion. Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. So that, that goes to
0: show how fast the uh the space is moving. Yeah, this was two years ago. And yeah. it's already out of date. Connor I have a question as well. How do you think AI how do we see it advancing in the future or what's your perspective on that? I think a very interesting topic for AI development and advancement
1: is the, is the cross-pollination between neuroscience. AI pretty much started as neuroscience having these ideas of neurons that we found from the human brain. And then suddenly it works as an AI model, although in the, in the past they've diverged and they haven't really been influencing each other as much, but maybe in the future we'll come back and we'll find more understanding of the brain and we'll be able to develop better AI models. Right now they're advancing on their own. An interesting perspective from neuroscience is they have a human brain that they don't understand, but it's very intelligent and their goal is to understand it. So they're building these models. That's what computational neuroscience is. On the other hand, you have AI, computer science researchers that understand how their models work. They're just mathematical models, and they at least understand the algorithms if they don't understand the, the parameters. But they're trying to make intelligence which they don't understand, and they're trying to
0: build towards smarter intelligence and approach the human brain, and maybe surpass it. Do you think it's possible to do it on accident? Do you think that's the only way that we'd be able to do do it? I think there's a lot of new models that we are yet to find. For
1: example, just recently, there's the Mamba model, which is a competitor to Transformers, which Transformers is already from 2017. And it solves a lot of the issues with Transformers, and it can lead to much better applications, much better text understanding. It can support longer inputs and it works completely differently using old stuff that we used to use like recurrent neural networks. I think we're going to keep on working out new algorithms to make AI models and at some point we're going to have a breakthrough maybe that breakthrough is going to come from
2: neuroscience So just in the news, the 23andMe data breach, we went through it in the past. Uh, There's been more news on it and seems to be significantly worse than we thought. So there was originally 14,000 was the estimate for accounts compromised. And we went over in the past how this was, the attackers used a feature where they basically mapped out a bunch of data from different people by looking at their DNA relatives 23andMe has confirmed that it's 5.5 million people compromised, and that's roughly half of their users. 14 million customers is their total users. So that's obviously a really massive breach. In terms of what 23andMe is saying, it looks like it hasn't been a whole lot of multiple news articles have basically said they refused to comment. Which um, uh, if you know me, I'm very passionate about incident response and being able to communicate appropriately. We've seen it done wrong a million different times. We've seen it done wrong with Optus. We've seen it done wrong with Medibank. We're seeing it it done wrong right now with 23andMe. A lot of the times it's just lawyers involved and they say, don't say anything, which can be beneficial sometimes, but also you need to be pretty transparent with what's going on if you want to kind of save face at all.
0: And another thing to reiterate is I was having a conversation with someone the other week and they were under the impression that, oh, it's just an account. It doesn't really matter. It's the same as any other data breach, but. Losing your heritage and your DNA results, it is really, really not good because yeah. the association of you to your heritage and what ethnicity you are, that might not seem like a massive deal right now. But in the future, it could be a, it could be a huge problem.
2: Yeah. I mean, we spoke about it in the episode of, you know, right now in the world, there's places where you go and you will be prosecuted for where you come from, what race you are, what religion you're from. And that's something that will follow you for life if you're in that data breach. I uh, can't get new DNA. No, you can't. Yes. You, it's it's not a number that you can just decide that you want something different. Tying that no, no, to no.
0: biometric data, like Connor was saying. That's not something you can replace. You can replace a password. You can replace, you know, uh, two FA codes. You can't replace your eyes, your your face, your fingers, your heritage. No, that, those are all things you can't replace.
2: Another interesting aspect is a lot of people have been coming forth who knows how much of it's true or not but basically originally it was thought that the the breach happened well what 23andme communicated was that it was accounts that were compromised because these people were using the same credentials as other data breaches but a lot of people have been coming forward including security researchers who have been saying that the account that they had was completely unique and separate to everything else so who knows, maybe there's going to be more that unfolds with this breach, and if it does, we'll keep you all updated. But it's it's one that I've been following closely because it's very interesting and very scary. I think it's going to be close to the heart of a lot of people. Well, thanks so much, Connor,
0: for coming on. It's been great having you and great asking you questions about AI. You're very knowledgeable in it. Do you have any closing remarks or any advice or any cool things to tell people about AI? It's a big hot topic right now. All this AI technology is brand new. And as we know from past experience,
1: new technology has a lot of security flaws. So be careful with where you trust your data. And just because it's in a a black box AI doesn't mean it can't be extracted. That's Mm -hmm. what a lot of researchers are looking into right now. And if you're worried about phone scams, hopefully you won't have to much longer. A part will be there to help you.
2: Awesome. Just to touch on that, as I've always said, Hackers can't exploit data that doesn't exist. So (laughs) be careful where you're putting your data online. Thanks so much, Carl. Thanks
0: Thanks for listening. Just a reminder that the Cyber Minutes podcast is for educational purposes only. The views expressed by hosts and guests are their own, not necessarily their employers. Advice discussed is general advice. We promote ethical discussions, not illegal activities. Have a cybersecurity question? Send an email to cyberminutespodcast at gmail.com as we'd love to answer it. Stay cyber safe.